scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm 17, verses 6 and 9, through 9 and verse 15. In, in your pew Bibles, you will find this scripture on uh, page 487, if you'd like to read along. Page 487 in the pew Bibles. I will be reading from the King James Version. Psalm 17, 6 through 9 and verse 15. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ears unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that saveth by the right hand them which put their trust in thee, from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wing from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. Verse 15, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. If you're a guest, we welcome you. And it encourages us that you're here. And we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we are in for a wonderful, wonderful day. A day of prayer. Uh, time has fallen back. Isn't it wonderful? God has given us an extra hour today, the way we do our clocks here in America, at least in this part of the country. And what better way to invest that extra hour of time than an hour in prayer? And we are thankful for all the classes that are participating in this. And of course, in your Sunday bulletin, you will see a schedule of when those are. And you feel free to go to any of those that is convenient for you. And if you still have prayer requests that you would like to be prayed today, uh, be sure and turn those in to the baskets on each end of the foyer. And throughout the day, those will be picked up and prayed for also. A reminder to each of you men and, uh, that are leading prayer, and even some women in the ladies' class will be leading prayer if you will, the personal prayer request, if you will, bring those back after you pray for them in your class and put them on the pins, the closed pins, uh, put those on the prayer boards, and then uh, we'll continue uh, to pray for those throughout the month. But right now, if you're submitting a prayer request you want prayed today, be sure and put it in the baskets. Now, if you have a confidential uh, request that you want to make known to the elders and they will pray it at a time where uh, the elders will be praying together at four o'clock. You can put that request in the box that is at the information center. If you are leading a prayer today and you have not yet picked up your folder, uh, they are in the office area. Be sure and remember to go by and get those so that there are several requests and ministries and individuals that you'll be praying for in those do keep in mind that in the bulletin this week is also the tab again that you can tear out that has the request form. And of course, it doesn't matter what you write it upon, but if that's convenient for you this morning, that is inside your bulletin and you can write your request there and tear it off and place that in the basket if that would help you. I noticed when I was sitting there that the screen in the middle is washed out this morning with the colors that I've chosen and I'm sorry about that and you may want to be sure and grab your Bible this morning we'll have several texts uh, if you're on the sides I think it's a lot easier to read Alexandra Witt said I've known men 
who came to God for nothing else but just to come to him, they so loved him. They scorned to soil him and themselves with any other errand than just purely to be alone with him in his presence. Friendship is best kept up, even among men, by frequent visits. How do you see prayer? Isn't it interesting that the real answer to how you see prayer really lies into how you would answer this? How do you see God? What's your relationship with God? This morning in this time together, I hope that we can all be reminded, maybe renewed, and some maybe even learn that as wonderful as the command is for us to pray and even pray without ceasing is the reality that there is so much more to prayer than just the mechanics of something that needs to be obeyed. There's a real relationship that is implied when individuals say that they are going to pray. I'd like for us to look at four examples this morning leading from the text that has just been read there in Psalm 17. When we see Psalm 17 at the top of your heading in your Bible, if you have a heading underneath your chapter, it probably says something to the effect of a prayer of David. There's at least five Psalms that are given this heading. And this one is one that individuals believe that it was probably prayed as he was hiding from King Saul as Saul was trying to destroy the life of David. And it is here that David cries out some marvelous things. In verse 6, he states very emphatically that he believes God is hearing his prayers. Pause there. Have you ever thought that he wasn't? Surely all of us have had times where we felt like that our prayers stopped at the ceiling. What's the use to pray? And maybe this morning this can be a reminder to us that there's something more than just the mechanics of prayer. David was convinced that God heard his prayer. And in the very next verse, even talks about the loving kindness of God. And in verse 8, describes that loving kindness as the apple of his eye. That is, David is saying, listen to his confidence, I know I am the apple of God's eye. You know what the Hebrew for that is? Now, and it, it almost sounds funny. It's not comical. It almost sounds, the, the Hebrew for that is the little man in your eye. You know when you're talking to someone and, and you look into their pupil and if the lighting is just right, you see a reflection of yourself? That's where that expression comes from. It's the idea that God is looking at you. And so he says, I know that I am the apple of God's eye. He's keeping his eye on me. He's not going to look anywhere else. I'm that special. I'm under, keep in mind, he's probably living in hillsides and wilderness and caves, running from Saul. And he says, I'm hiding under the shadow of his wing. And when you drop down to verse 15, it's amazing that David even understood life after death, which for the new covenant is not such a challenge for us. But yet under the old covenant, it was not nearly as clearly taught as what it is to us today. And you notice in 15, his last phrase was, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. The awake there is talking about, okay, so one of these days I am going to die. Right now, Saul is trying to kill me. It may be now, it may be later, but God, let me tell you, I'm satisfied because I'm going to resurrect. Remember another time David said about this same topic? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. And remember, he closes that by saying, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, he knew that the shadow of death was real, but he knew that there was a resurrection. And he says, I find satisfaction in that. I find fulfillment in that. David, how can you do that? How can you know God hears your prayers? How can you know God cares for you so much? How can you know what waits for you on the other side? And I believe so much of this rests in the relationship that David had with God to be able to say, and back up a slide here and look at verse seven. Look at verse seven, how the, the middle part of it, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. Oh, you who save those who trust in you. David knew that there was a different relationship offered to those who trust in God. Listen, God loves all of mankind. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there are blessings and there is a relationship that is offered to those who have placed their life under God and they trust God with all that they are. There is a relationship with, and for us under the new covenant, it's those who are in Christ and they're faithful to the son. We have a relationship that's not like anything that the world knows. Please grasp this. That's how we can know he cares for us so much. That's how we can know he hears our prayers. That's how we can know what waits on the other side because we have come into that relationship with him and we have left that relationship with the world. The world is no longer our God. How you view God depends on how you pray. You say, well, I, I trust God. Listen, I'm not asking you, do you believe there's an almighty God? And I'm not asking you that in, in, in a sense, you trust God. This morning, I need to realize that I can't have the life of prayer that God has designed unless I trust God with everything that I am and everything that I go through. Can you trust God with everything you are right now with relationships? Can you trust God with everything that you're dealing with at work and school? Can you really say, God, here I am. I lay myself under your wings. I will submit and turn to you first and foremost in everything. Let me illustrate this. I know this is feeble, but there may be a stranger that you kind of size them up and you say, they look like a trustworthy person. Okay, so you're down at Providence. You're, you're just in a store and you see a stranger and you say, sure, sure, they look trustworthy. Okay, are you ready to take all of your assets, everything that you're worth, and some way get it reduced down to paperwork that it fits in a box and go up to that stranger and say, hey, this is all I have financially. This is everything that I am. And I know that I don't know you, but hey, I trust you. Will you hold on to these things for a couple of months? And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you my phone number and in a couple months you just call me back and will you give these things back to me? There's not anybody here that would do that toward a stranger. Even though on one level we say, oh, they, they look trustworthy. Listen, we're talking about trust, full trust. It's easy to say, oh, sure, I trust God. We're not saying, do you size up God to say, oh, I, I guess that he's worthy. We're saying, does your life does your heart and your soul and your mind 
Have you laid it all down at Jesus? And say, Lord, I trust you with everything. It makes all the difference in how we pray. Because if we do trust him in everything, we're going to go to him first. And we're going to go to him with everything. Just as David did. I'd like for us to look at three examples of individuals that teach us how to trust God. Back up, if you will, just a few pages to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter. We have a story about a king, a king of Judah named Asa, who was really a relatively good king. But yet in this particular chapter, we see that there are some things that he didn't do that was righteous and pleasing to God. And one of the things that he did was as the king of Israel, and keep in mind, we're talking about the king of Judah, the king of Israel was rising up against him. And in times past, Judah had depended upon God. As a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter and verse 8, it even uses the phrase, they had relied upon God. You see, that's trusting God. I trust you. I rely upon you. But for whatever reason, he decided not to rely upon God at this time. And so what he did was he turned not to God, but to the king of Syria. And he bargained with him. He sent him gold and silver. And he said, will you come over and will you defend us? Do we ever do things like that? Something comes up in our life in the very time we ought to be going to God. We go to a friend first. We go to a counselor first. We go to, to a, a, a book first. We go to some idea of, well, maybe there's some method here. Maybe there's some organization here. Maybe there's, there's some kind of, of, of uh, structure that I'm just overlooking. Or do we always go first to God? The answer that God gives him is absolutely amazing. Look in 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Why does God go to and fro in the earth? What is he looking for? God says, I'm looking for individuals that will show themselves loyal to me. Individuals that they trust me, I can bless them. They're loyal to me. I can make a difference in what they put their hands to do. Does that describe you? I assume God is still walking to and fro throughout the earth. And he's looking for individuals that are loyal to him. And he wants to bless their enterprises. He wants to bless what they've put their hands to do. And he does that for those that are loyal. Samuel Taylor Coolridge said, The act of praying is the very highest energy of which the human mind is capable Praying, that is, with the total concentration of the faculties. The great mass of worldly men and of learned men are absolutely incapable of prayer. 
Now, someone might say, I don't, I don't see how you can say that people are incapable of prayer. The kind of prayer that God is asking us to have with him is that communion with him. It is that communication that is built within relationship. God is not looking for prayers from strangers. God is looking for prayers from people that have devoted their life to him. I don't know if this is a good example, but, but what about if you take one of the most intellectual people in Mount Juliet? I'm not talking about the congregation. I'm talking about the, the, the community. Might be in the congregation. Let's say they're not for this illustration's sake. All right. And, and let's say the highest IQ, the very highest. Say this is the most intelligent person. And now let's take someone that they didn't finish high school. And now we say, can you pray? And let's say that this one with the high IQ is not a Christian. But because of their knowledge, they have studied prayer. And they know the mechanics of prayer. And they even know some of the beautiful, eloquent phrases that have been used in prayers throughout the centuries. They know the words of praise. They know how to offer requests. They know how to offer intercession on behalf of others. They even know how to close the prayer in Jesus' name, we pray these things. And you listen to that prayer that comes from a hollow soul, a one that has no relationship with God. And then on the other hand, you hear this prayer over here. And maybe because of the person's background, they're not going to utter those eloquent phrases. But if this person is devoted to God, they've placed their trust in God. When those two prayers are said, according to the teaching of Scripture, which prayer will accomplish the most? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5 and 16. Listen. God is not concerned about your mechanics of prayer if you're not concerned about your relationship with Him. Until we're ready to bring our life and lay it down before Him. That's what we learn from David who had such great trust. That's what we learn from Asa who did have trust but faltered. And God corrected him by saying, don't you realize my business every day is to walk around the earth and look for people who are loyal. And Asa, before this time, you proved yourself to be loyal. You relied upon God. And now you're going to rely upon a human being, a king of Syria, before you rely upon me. And God says, that's a deal breaker. You're going to have to deal with war for the rest of your days because you've turned your back on me. Let's look at another example. Look back to Joshua. Joshua, the 10th chapter. Another great example of trust. This is kind of just the opposite. Both of these men were going into battle, but Joshua proved himself to be very trustworthy. You remember the children of Israel were going over to conquest. They had proven to be very successful by God's blessing at Jericho. Remember they went up to Ai, and remember Achan had committed that trespass, and a small number of people at Ai defeated them. And so they cleaned up that trespass, and they began to be so successful that when they went to the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites just surrendered. 
They, they said, we don't, we don't want, we know your God. We know the power he has. We just want to be slaves to you. Four kings in Jerusalem heard this and they were enraged against the Gibeonites. And so they sent out and they were literally, the four kings were going to destroy Gibeon. Joshua hears this and he rises up Israel to go out and to defend those individuals that had said, we'll just be your slaves. And so it's in the midst of this longer story and it's in the midst of this battle that the sun starts to set. And you can imagine in ancient times like this how that would usually cease a war and that would give them time to probably go back and recollect themselves and, and, and strengthen themselves, so to speak. And of course, Joshua doesn't want that. And let's look in the 10th chapter in verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Notice this verse. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Israel went into battle. And where does Joshua immediately turn? He doesn't say, let's call some other kings. He immediately turns to God and he asks God for something that most of us would think is unthinkable. You are telling me you are really going to ask God to stop the sun, to give us more time to complete this battle. And Joshua says, absolutely, I'm going to ask that. And he prays, how much would you have to trust God to offer a prayer like that? And notice his answer. God's explanation of this in the 14th verse is, that was the day that I heeded the voice of man, an answer to prayer, and it is the day that the Lord fought for Israel. The power of prayer is not in the mechanics. The power of prayer is that when we commune with God, we are communing with the all mighty and all-powerful God of the universe. Jacob understood that. David understood that. Asa probably understood it, but he forgot it for a period of time. And let's close with this one more, turning even further back. Let's go to Genesis 32. In Genesis 32, we see this powerful story. I know this story can present oftentimes more questions than answers, but there's a principle that leaves nothing to, to be faltered. It leaves nothing to question, nothing to doubt. Let's read this. It's going to be several verses. This is where Jacob is coming back to Canaan. And you remember Jacob and Esau were the twins that had a, a bitter relationship with each other. And finally, at, when, when Jacob had had stolen the blessing and before that he had bargained for the birthright Esau was so enraged that in Genesis 27 he said I will kill my brother and so he flees he leaves and he is away from Canaan for 20 years now in the meantime he comes back and this is what we're about to read is him coming back and he's got to face the brother that said I will kill you 
Now he comes back with two wives and two concubines and 12 children. He comes back as a tribal prince with great wealth. He comes back with large herds of cattle and of sheep, flocks of sheep and of great possessions. But isn't it interesting how none of that has value when you think you're going to die? And so now he is distraught. He has to face his brother. So evening has fallen. He's placed his family at one place and for their safety, he doesn't want to sleep in the same location of them. He grows across the brook and he is there to sleep. Now let's pick up on this story, which by the way, I think something that either sometimes we don't know or we forget is Jacob would have been an older man at this time because Jacob was 84 years old before he even married. Remember the mix up with Leah? Remember he thought he was getting Rachel and you know, some people laugh and say maybe that was the problem. He couldn't see well at 84 years of age. But, but the only reason I mention that to you is by the time we come here, this man is probably about 98 years old. And, and this is already, this isn't, these aren't the days where they were living 900 and something years. This guy's an older guy by this point. He's, he's 98 years old. And, and let's notice what, what is written here. We're in Genesis, the 32nd chapter, verse 24. Then Jacob left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Seems strange, doesn't it? He lies down to sleep and someone begins to wrestle with him. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket, socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But notice Jacob says to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is that that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, for I have seen God face to face. My life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose up and he limped on his hill. He understood that the one he was wrestling with was not a man, not just any man. He understood that this was either God or a representation of God. And he understood that he was not going, if he had any say in the matter at all, he was not going to lose this battle. And so when morning breaks, for whatever reason, this one says, I've got to go. It's the break of day. And can you imagine a 98-year-old man hanging on to him saying, I'm not letting you go. What do you want from me? Bless me. Just bless me. I could say, have you ever been to that point in your life where the only thing you knew to do was turn to God and say, God, just bless me. But wouldn't that be sad if some of us said, yeah, I have been, and the reality is we ought to be at that point in our life every day. We can't make it without Him. We can't be who He has designed for us to be and to be about His work without Him. Today, I hope this house is full of individuals that all you know to do is trust God. 
And that you can join in with David and say, I know that God hears my prayers and that's why I want to pray, not just today, but every day, but how wonderful it is that we can do it together today as a church family. How wonderful it is that we can cast our cares upon him. We can offer our petitions. We can offer our praise and our thanksgiving. It's not really so much today about prayer, but it's about what you think about God and your relationship with him. An old writer, you can probably tell I've been reading a lot of old writers this week. A.C. Dixon, he tells a story of one of his friends that love to hunt deer with hounds. And he said on a particular day, he was out in the fields and he heard the baying of the hounds and then he saw a little fawn come running and leap the rail fence that was near him. And only 10 feet away from him, he crouched down in the tall grass and the hounds got closer. He said eventually the hounds tracked him all the way to where the fawn was lying. Just as the hounds were jumping the fence, he says that little fawn jumped up, ran over to him, put his head between his legs as if it was pleading, save me. He said, just as the hounds were about to bite, I swept up that fawn against my chest and I began to circle around and kicking the dogs. And he said, all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. Think about that. So it is when human helplessness appeals to the Almighty God, well do I remember the hounds of sin were after my soul until at last I ran in the arms of the Almighty God. There's nowhere else to turn. And praise God, he has his arms open. And he says, I'll help you. That's why we pray. That's why we can extend an invitation. It's not our invitation. It's God's invitation that says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And this morning, if you need rest from sin, we'd love to help you draw near to God. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins or maybe you've done that and, and you're just burdened with sin again and you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness after repenting of it, we'd love to pray with you. Let's all leave here this morning making sure that not because of who we are but because of who God is that we trust Him with all that we are. If we can help you in any way,